0: Amen. Well, hello everyone. It's great to be with you today. As we're in the lead up to Christmas, many of you will be thinking about what these guys have just mentioned. What kind of gift are you going to buy your loved ones? Is it going to be turkey or beef or nut roast, or maybe even a takeaway for Christmas dinner this year. Lots of you, I'm sure, have already got up your Christmas decorations in anticipation for celebrating Christmas, the coming of our Saviour and King, who stepped down from heaven into this world and towards us and this series that we're in is called "The Song of Ascent," and um, it's based in the Book of Psalms, and I feel it gives us a fresh and wonderful opportunity to not just prepare and get ready for all the external parts of Christmas, but to prepare our hearts and to ready ourselves, to move from a place that we are in as we make fresh footprints towards him. Jesus this Christmas time. Because I don't know about you, but I feel like I need it more than ever before. In this time, 2020, with all the craziness, all the chaos, all the constant information and stresses and concerns and fears, I can think of nothing better than to step away from all of the noise, all of the chaos and step into the calm of Jesus and walk towards him. And so the psalm that we're in today is Psalm 131 and it's written by David. And so we're going to read it together. So why don't you grab your Bible or maybe swipe to it on your phone and I'm going to read it to us as well. So here we go. Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quietened myself. I'm like a wean child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. And as I started to read and to meditate on this psalm, it became more and more attractive, not just to me, but to my soul. The yearning my soul longs for is met in this psalm because it holds up a reality that I want more and more for my life. I want to know the peace that passes all understanding, the peace of a weaned child who is secure in their mother's lap, I want to know the contentment of the soul that is based not on my circumstances or my situation, but on my unshakable restfulness in my God. And it struck me that this psalm is not only our prescription or our medicine, but it is also the cure to the restlessness, the anguish and the agony of the soul. No matter who you are, no matter what your circumstances, your situation is today, no matter how long you have been walking with Jesus for, or maybe you're just on a spiritual journey and you don't yet know him. These God-breathed words, I feel, are like water for our parched souls. So we're going to unpack it together. And we're going to see what the Lord has to say to us. And today I sense that there are just three steps that the Lord, he wants to highlight to us as a church. And for all of you who are visiting today, for which you are so, so welcome. We're delighted you're with us. Charles Spurgeon, he says this about the Psalm. Psalm 131, he says this. It's not one of the short, it's, sorry, it's one of the shortest Psalms to read but one of the longest to learn. It's a short ladder, yet when that rises to great, it's a short ladder, yet one that rises to a great height. Got there in the end. It's a short ladder, one that rises to a great height. I love that. You see, it's just a little step, but once taken, it will carry us a great distance. And so the question that we're asking ourselves today is, what small step can I take that will propel me a great distance towards Jesus? Step number one, aim to walk in humility. Verse one, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. So even though this psalm is one of ascent, it's actually about contentment and humility, which is a very real need for us all, isn't it? In this phonetic times that we're in. And what I love about it is it shows that actually uh, the way up is actually the way down, which truly is a step towards God. Yet in order to practice humility, We have to recognize and we have to die to the pride that is within us, the pride in our lives. Now, growing up, my... um dad was absolutely terrible about um, going to the doctors. He really didn't ever want to go, really didn't like it, because he came from a family who basically took a huge amount of pride in the fact that they never went to the doctors. And there'll be things like, you know, oh, we're tough, you know, we we don't need to go, that kind of thing would be bandied around. And, um, Uh, I grew up on this story where my nan, many, many years ago, when she was quite young, I think, she had been sunbathing all day, and um, she collapsed that night and so an ambulance was called and my nan was kind of kicking and screaming and just kind of protesting and saying I don't need to go in an ambulance I'm fine thank you very much despite the fact that actually she needed several days in hospital and also a blood transfusion bless her She spent her entire life taking pride in the fact that she never went to the doctors, yet seeking medical assistance was absolutely not a sign of weakness in any way. But the lifelong pride that she had about that really was. It's a dangerous thing, pride. It's a dangerous thing. Pride is a gigantic stumbling block. And actually, it's the main obstacle between us and God. And twice in the New Testament, in James 4 and 1 Peter 5, it says this, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I don't know about you, but I certainly don't want God to oppose me. I want to know his favor. I want to know his grace upon my life. And pride is such a deceitful and difficult thing to get hold of because it manifests itself in all sorts of different ways and it comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes and it sneaks up on us and it takes up residence, often without us even knowing about it. And you know, the worst part of it all is that no one is immune. No one is immune. Many of you will know that I love a bargain. I cannot resist a bargain. And uh, I love um, upcycling furniture. I particularly love mid-century furniture and upcycling it. And so every now and again, I will go onto Facebook Marketplace or to Gumtree and I'll have a look at something that maybe is a bit old or battered that needs a new lease of life. And then I have all these creative ideas about what I would do with it and where it would go. But the problem is... I have, um, my spatial awareness is absolutely terrible. And so I'll be telling Chuck, I think we could do this, and I think it could go there, and he would be bursting every one of my ideas, every one of my dreams. And he'll be like, it will never fit, you can't do that. And also, I have to confess, I'm terrible at maths. And uh, unless I involve Chuck in looking at these pieces of furniture and measuring things, it can go terribly wrong. I have been known to start off measuring in inches and ending up in centimetres. And also, I have been known to very nearly purchase a very, very beautiful chest of drawers that would have fit perfectly in a Sylvanian family doll's house. (laughs) True story. For most people, actually, measuring the depth and the breadth and the height of something isn't really that difficult. But it is much, much harder for us to measure our own humility. But here in verse 1, I love what David does because he's given us three simple dials on the dashboard of our lives to keep an eye on three aspects of our own inner life that we can keep watch of and we can keep notice of to help us measure and grow in humility. So these ways are what I feel, what I see, And what I do. So firstly, verse one, my heart is not proud, Lord. So I'm watching out here for any feelings, any inmost thoughts or motives that I have that maybe put myself or my desires or my ambitions over other people's. Or any feelings maybe that I crave for something that's going to glorify me. That's going to kind of put me above others. And those kind of feelings, church, we have to put to death. We have to put them to death. For example, many of us will be on social media. And you know what happens, people post, don't they? All sorts of lovely things on social media. Maybe they're posting something they're celebrating or something they're succeeding in. And when we see those posts, we experience emotions. And these emotions display something about the state of our own hearts. And these emotions are sometimes early warning signs, early warning signals of the pride in our lives that is becoming a problem. Secondly, what I see, verse 1, my eyes are not haughty. Now the word for haughty in this verse means to be lifted up or to be um, raised high. And there is a right way to raise up and to lift up. And there is also a wrong lifting up of eyes. Well, we lift up our eyes only then to look down on other people. And that is what David means here by haughty eyes. Haughty eyes are those that kind of look at other people, maybe with disdain, always looking down on them. You know, you can either look up to God or you can look down on others, but you can't do both at the same time. And this pride that we have is constantly putting others down, constantly causing that comparison towards other people, constantly convincing ourselves maybe that we are better than that other person over there. And so the direction of our eyes is a really helpful indicator for the levels of humility or pride that is within our lives. Am I looking down on others or am I looking to you, Lord? Thirdly, what I do, verse one again, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. In other words, the third dial on the dashboard is about drivenness, it's about selfish ambition. Am I giving my time, my energy, my activity to getting ahead, to creating some kind of status, to being somebody? And David is saying here, I'm keeping watch over my actions and my behaviors. And I'm alert to the pride that I know is like fuel to that fire. And the truth is that so often we can find ourselves doing things without ever stopping to ask the question, why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? And actually, that's a really great question to ask ourselves. Why am I staying that extra hour and a half in the office when everyone else has gone home? Why am I buying this car and not that car? Why am I posting that comment or that image on social media? But David says, I'm watching my behavior because I want to live my life without pride and I want to walk humbly towards my God. So David, he is alert and he's careful in these three areas, what he feels, where he looks and what he does in order that he can embrace and grow in humility. Will we just pray for a moment? And Lord, we just ask you just to come and show us the areas in our life where pride has taken hold. Maybe for some of us, we know already what that is and maybe for others of us, we think we don't have any. But Lord, would you just come and would you show us? And then maybe as the Lord shows you what those areas are, Why don't you hand them to him? Why don't you renounce that pride? Lord, we are sorry where we've partnered with that pride. We are sorry where we have sought pride over humility, where we've looked down on others instead of looking to you. Lord, we want to choose your way. We want to walk in your truths. We want to walk in humility towards you. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so step number two is decide to lean in. Verse two, but I have calmed and quietened myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. So just like us, David's deep desire and need is to be content. And he finds that contentment in his God. His yearning soul has found exactly what it needs to satisfy and to refresh him. And he has found the source of all fulfillment. And notice that he doesn't just live in that place, but he inhabits it. And notice how David, he takes full responsibility for the contentment that he feels in his own life. I have calmed and quietened myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. I am content. You see, he's taken deliberate actions to step away from all the noise and all the busyness and all the chaos that is surrounding him and to step into the calm of Jesus We live reasonably near to the sea and even closer to the estuary. And as you will have known, uh, we've had some horrific uh, storms recently, haven't we? It's been awful. And the wind and the rain, and I tell you what, the estuary is getting absolutely churned up in those storms where the wind is pounding on the waves and you can hear the roar of the estuary and the sea when we go outside. It's carnage, it's awful. But then this week in particular, haven't we had some gorgeous weather and it's been so utterly still. There's not been any wind. Everywhere has been calm and still. And that estuary looks like a completely different picture. It's like a mill pond. It's absolutely still. David's decision is to eliminate all the things in his life which agitate his soul, which cause his soul to be churned up and to be agitated and all the crashing and the the despairing that is going on within him. He's choosing that so he can be still, no longer agitated, no longer crying out. He's come through the messy and the noisy and the unsettled weaning process. And now he knows he doesn't need what he thought he needed before. We've got three kids. Many of you will know that. And I remember when they were really little um, or like under five, and we would be going stir crazy in the house, particularly at weekends, and just need to get out of the house, you know. And we invested in a backpack, which was amazing, and all three of our kids went and used that backpack at some point. And uh, we would put whatever toddler was kicking and screaming and agitated and frustrated, we would put them in the backpack. And the reality is that that walk was stressful for everyone. You know, no one enjoyed that walk, particularly because the child is there, you know, flailing arms and, you know, having this tantrum and using up so much energy and all the thrashing and flailing around. Eventually, they realize that almost nothing about their circumstances was going to change. And so instead, they chose to lean in. And I used to love watching it, how they would place their cheek. We used to call them chubbers. They would place their cheek on Chuck's back. And then they would tuck in their wee legs into his side. And they would rest in the shelter of his body. And that is what David is doing here. All hell could be breaking loose out there. But David is stilling and quietening himself. He is content With his God. Step number three, last step, choose to live in God's steadfast hope. Verse three Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. So, the biggest difference between Christians and those who don't yet know Jesus is the difference in the hope that we receive and the hope that we carry. And for those who don't follow Jesus, they don't really have any other choice but to put their hope into other people or the cosmos or the government or a vaccine or themselves or maybe someone else or something, something else. But for us as Christians, our hope comes from a perfect God a steadfast God, a God who always runs towards us, a God who will never turn his back on us, a God who knows us better than we know ourselves. The hope that we have doesn't diminish over time, nor does it let us down, nor does it tarnish or dissolve into nothing. No, the hope that we have is constantly growing and expanding and strengthening It is the light that shines in the darkness. It is the reminder of our eternity that it is sealed and it is a fortress for our broken hearts. This Christmas time, as we step towards Jesus and as we create new footprints in our journey of ascent towards him, this is an opportunity for us to redirect our hope to redirect our hope. Let's remember the hope that we have, church. It's bigger than any virus. It's bigger than the government or a vaccine. And it is far greater than any loneliness. It is stronger than fear. It is more precious than riches. And it is more secure than anything that this world has got to offer us. And David's cry to his people that echoes through the generations to us today is a stunning reminder to live in abounding hope, live in that hope, church, live in the hope that we have been given. And I love what it says in Hebrews chapter six, and this is taken from the message. I absolutely love it. It says, we who have ran for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus running on ahead of us has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us. What a beautiful, beautiful image of the hope that we have. Let's not just lean afresh into that, but also let's ensure that for all those that we know and love who have yet to experience Jesus's steadfast hope have an opportunity to do so this Christmas time. Why don't we pray? And Spirit of God, you are already at work. You are already moving in our hearts. Why don't you just invite the Lord wherever you are. Just say come Holy Spirit and invite him in. Would you go deeper in us Lord. Come and have your way.